0: Good morning, 1045. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? Where are, my, uh, where are my pro-yay candy corn people? <clears throat> man, oh man. Can I tell you something? And this is in the Bible. I haven't even said it yet. The Bible says that the only place that candy corn is served in a positive manner is in hell. Did you know that? It's in there, First Opinions, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name's Journey, and it's my joy to be the pastor here. So thankful, so glad you've come and uh, spent some of your Sunday morning with us. Can you do me a favor? You can put your hands together welcome all of our online family that's tuning in online. We're glad that you're with us as well. Over the last couple of years, there's been a phrase that has um, grown in a lot of popularity. Perhaps you've heard of it. How many of you have heard this phrase, toxic masculinity? Anybody heard that? some of us, some of us with a lot of mixed opinions about that. Um, By definition, toxic masculinity is the overemphasis on culturally manly traits. Emphasis on culturally, we'll come back to that in a minute. So things like being tough, things like being emotionless, things like being sexually virile or or promiscuous, things like being self-sufficient. Toxic masculinity is the, the overemphasis on these kinds of things. Now, here's the deal. There are some of the things in that, you know, short, certainly not exhaustive list, um, that, that, that aren't bad, right? Like, I talk to my kids all the time about being tough, man. How many of you know life's not always sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns? Has anybody learned that yet? Or are you all just living under the spout where the glory falls out? <laughs> right? Like, life is tough, right? So sometimes you're gonna have to toughen up, buttercup. Let's go. It's okay. Um, I just told my son yesterday, I said, son, there are many things in life worth crying about. This is not one of them, right? Like you have gotta be tough. That's not bad. On the other hand, there's some things on that list that are terrible, right? Like, like just the overemphasis on sexual promiscuity. And, and that's such a weird message, by the way, that, that, that we as a culture have adopted to send our, our, our boys and girls, right? Because if, if it's a boy, what are the, what's the question that most boys are asked in elementary school? Got a girlfriend yet? You got a girlfriend yet? You got a girlfriend yet? Who's your girlfriend? My grandfather took it the other way. He goes, you ain't dating none of them fat, ugly chicks, are you? He grew up in days gone by. He said, Grandpa, we don't say that anymore. Um, And, uh, you know, but that's what we we ask boys. The girls, on the other hand, what do we say? You don't need no stinky boy. They get older, right? boy gets a girl, goes on a date, uh, you know, gets his first kiss and a whole lot of other firsts. And what's typically the response culturally from the dads? That's my boy. But when it's his daughter, bro, you wanna ask my daughter out, you can come over to my house while I clean my shotgun. That's a really confusing message, isn't it? I mean, on one hand, it's like the culture celebrates if a guy kind of plays the crowd. But if a girl plays the crowd... Well, we got all kinds of unfortunate names that we would call her. And so toxic masculinity is this thing where we just, we overemphasize these these things that culture has defined. And really, that really is kind of part of the issue. I believe the rise of the phrase toxic masculinity is the byproduct of, of, of two kind of three things. The first is that it, it's a culture that has, um, that we have allowed the culture to define what masculinity is. We've allowed culture to say what a man is. And worse, we've allowed culture not only to define it, but culture continually paints the image of what a man is. And so when a boy, if a boy grows up without a strong, good, godly man in his life, then where does he turn for the definition of what a man is? What he's supposed to aspire to, what he's supposed to long for to become? He turns to the culture. That's the first problem. The second reason why I think toxic masculinity has become such a buzzword, a buzz phrase in our society is because there's a lot of people who are pushing back against men who have taken advantage of their position, their power, their influence, and have manipulated or or taken advantage of people to serve their own interests, their own desires, and their own ability. And at some level, there's a lot of people in the culture saying, enough is enough. We're done with this. That's a good thing. The third part of it that, that plays a role, I believe, is because there has, there has been this, this assault ongoing over the last four or five decades to constantly devalue the role of men. And, and, and in the name of equality, in the name of equity or whichever of those words that you wanna use, it's not that we've, we've tried to just even the scales to say that women are just as good or just as important as men, but we've constantly, through culture, through uh, 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 shows and movies, we started off by painting dad as a, as a, as a buffoon and an, as an idiot in The Simpsons. And now we've completely devalued and degraded it to the point where any man who tries to do commonly held manly things is seen as oppressive. Now, listen, if you're new with us and you're trying to figure out what the heck, where is this preacher man coming from? What's he really think about the role of men and women? Go back to week one. I spent quite a bit of time talking about that. I'm not gonna re-preach that message today. I'm simply trying to paint the picture of why this phrase and this idea of toxic masculinity has become such a thing, because we need to understand this if we are ever going to be able to reclaim the idea that it is good for men to be godly men. And so, what I wanna to do today is I wanna lay out for you in a message that I'm titling Separating the What Separates the Men from the Boys. What I wanna do is I wanna lay some things out for you. Now, before I do that, I wanna share a couple of things. There's a there's a few books, if you're a reader, there's a few books that I've read over the last year that has helped shape uh this series, and I and I wanna give these to you. If you wanna get these, you can you can go get them. The first is Becoming a King by Morgan Snyder, uh, an incredible book that 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 brings a really interesting perspective. Everything, the, a lot of the stuff that I talked about in week one about how how God has, has delegated power and authority to humanity. A lot of that comes from his book and some of his work there. The second book that uh, has been influential is Raising a Modern Day Knight by Robert Lewis. Um, this is an oldie but a goodie. And let me just say this, men, if you are the father of a son or the grandfather of a grandson, this is must read material. In fact, I would go so far as to say that that after you read your Bible this year, The other book that you should consider reading before the end of the year is this book, Raising a Modern Day Knight. It is going to be incredibly helpful in helping you understand what what boys need in our society today so they can raise them up to be the men that God wanted them to be. And then the third book is the book, The Five Marks of a Man by Brian Tome, which has kind of really influenced um, today's message quite a bit. I'm going to kind of preach my own version of this. So if you're a reader, go check those out. I think they'll be encouraging to you. Also, I want to share with you this. Um, we say around here that that we have what we call an invite culture. Erica spoke to this just a minute ago. Um, that 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 we want to constantly be looking for opportunities to invite people to come to church. Why is that? Is that because we're trying to you know see how big we can get the church? No, it's because we're trying to see how many more people we can get to heaven. We just believe that the Bible says that we're two or more gathered in my name, there I am also in the midst of them. And that the scripture says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's is liberty, there's freedom. And so we believe that every single time that we have an opportunity to come together on a Sunday morning, it's an opportunity for us to come in contact with the living God and have our lives and see other people's lives changed by him, amen? So I wanna encourage you um, Invite people to come to church. Now, every once in a while, we have a Sunday. We've got two or three of these Sundays in a calendar year that are like, if you were ever going to invite someone, this would be the Sunday because Jesus is going to be presented as clearly as this simple-minded person can possibly do it. Coming up in two weeks, Sunday, November 6th, we are not just going to be baptizing people. I'm going to be bringing a message that I believe is going to be so life giving, so impactful, so powerful about the life that God wants for us to have. And so if you know anybody, and especially if you know a man that, that want, that is wrestling through uh, something in their career, in their marriage, their finances, something that's going on in their life, or they're just wondering, like, is there something more than this? I wanna encourage you, Sunday, November 6th, invite them to join you in church. You can find invite cards at the Welcome Tent. Grab those on the way by. I wanna encourage you to bring people because it's gonna be an incredible, incredible Sunday. Quick recap from last week. We talked about this, that real men reject passivity accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect a greater reward. Um, we talked about this as a vision for manhood. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna kinda take this idea, but I wanna approach it from a different, a different angle. And I wanna talk about five things today that separates the men from the boys. And it's gonna be, it's certainly not exhaustive in all of the things that separate the men from the boys, but I believe that they're gonna be really helpful mile markers for us wherever we are on the journey becoming men because here's what I believe. God created every boy to be a man, but few boys ever become the man that God wants them to be. That's what this series is all about. We're trying to help you man up to be the man that God wants you to be. And so today perhaps might be diagnostic, today might be prescriptive. I don't know how this is gonna land for you, but we're gonna dive into some new content today. Here's number one. If you're with me, let me hear you say man up. Here we go. The first thing that separates the men from the boys. A boy lives day to day. A man has a vision for his life. Can I tell you, when I was a kid, I thought I had it made in the shade. I mean, I lived carefree, especially in the summertime. Man, I would roll out of bed at who knows when. I would walk into the kitchen and magically there was always food available. It was amazing. I never had to do anything for it. Um, There were healthy things that I never ate. And instead I ate Little Debbie's and ramen noodles. Praise God. And, uh, and and I loved it. And, and I, I literally didn't have a care in the world, man. Me and my buddy, Matt, we would hang out. We would go to his house or my house. Man, we'd go back and forth playing video games to jumping on the neighbor's trampoline uh, to riding uh, bicycles. And then later on, four wheelers through the woods. Uh, we would make up games on the spot. I mean, we literally had no care in the world. The only thing I really cared about, the only thing I was responsible for was to make sure that every hour on the hour, I called my mom and let her know that I was still alive and not somewhere in a ditch. Other than that, that's about all I had. And I had to be home by before the sun went down. That was it. As I got older and I started getting into school, middle school, high school, college, I began to realize like, I can't keep living this way. Like I've got my parents expect me to do certain chores. I've got teachers that expect me to do homework. Um, I've got coaches that expect things. And so I, I begin to learn that, 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 that I have responsibilities. And as I continue to learn and grow and kind of figure those responsibilities out, I, I got out of college and, and uh, Jessica and I got married, and I got a full time job, a, a big boy job for the first time. Um, I had kids, and and I began to realize, like, man, I've got I've got uh, all these other responsibilities now. I've got responsibilities to make sure I work hard, make sure I, you know, I'm able to bring home uh, money to be able to put a roof over the head and put some put some food in the in, in the in the refrigerator and and that kind of stuff. And here's here's what I thought in many seasons of my life. I thought that because I was increasing in the amount of expectations that people had of me and I was increasing the amount of responsibilities that I had to carry, I thought that meant that I was being a man. But here's what I found out, that having expectations of you and responsibilities for you, that's not what makes you a man. You see, because what happens is, is that Many men who are actually living as boys, they live day to day. But instead of living day to day from one fun thing to the next, what happens is is we bounce around from one responsibility to the next. And we think that because we can handle all these responsibilities and and people keep asking things of me and, and, and there's stuff that I'm supposed to do, we think, well, man, I'm a man now. I've got responsibilities. Can I tell you, responsibilities is not what makes you a man. What makes you a man is when you have a vision for your life. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 28 says. 29, sorry, in the message, it says this in verse 18 If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attest to what He reveals, they are most blessed. You see, without vision from God for our lives, we end up just stumbling all over ourselves. And so, men, we need to have a vision for our lives because when you have a vision in the different areas of your life, it impacts the way that you live your life. Let me give you some examples. When you have a vision for your life, you won't feel compelled to say yes to every request and every opportunity that somebody presents to you. When you have a vision for your finances, then you will be disciplined in how you spend your money. When you have discipline, or I'm sorry, when you have vision for your marriage, then you will take advantage of the opportunities to sit down and talk and connect with your spouse so that you can grow to a deeper level of intimacy and you will take advantage of opportunities to seek out counseling when you reach an impasse instead of running away from it. When you have a vision for your career, you won't just sit back and wait and go, I can't wait till my next my next bonus, hopefully get the bonus, next promotion's coming, next, next opportunity. No, 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 you're gonna sit and twiddle your thumbs. When you have a vision for your career, you will take advantage of opportunities to be able to equip yourself, to resource yourself, to put more tools into your toolbox so that when the opportunity comes knocking at your door, you will be ready to receive it and walk into it. When you have a vision for your health, you will moderate what you eat, you'll moderate what you'll drink and you'll put into place uh, uh, healthy practices of exercise so that you can have healthy habits and a healthy life. But when you don't have a vision for your life and you live like a boy day to day, then in your life, you will constantly feel overwhelmed and busy by all the stuff that you've got to do. When you don't have a vision for your finances, then you will always only ever live paycheck to paycheck. When you don't have a vision for your career, then it's possible that you might have a job that'll pay the bills, but you'll likely never have a job that you actually enjoy and bring satisfaction and fulfillment into your life. And when you don't have a vision for your health, then someday you're going to wake up, you're going to be overweight, you're going to have all kinds of health issues, and every morning you're going to have to take a fistful of pills to keep all those health issues at bay. When you don't know what God is doing, you will stumble all over yourself, but when you can see, when you have vision to see what God is doing, you will be greatly blessed. Listen, last week we talked about that a real man leads courageously. Men, let me just tell you this. You cannot lead yourself. You cannot lead your girlfriend, your fiance, your spouse. You can't lead your kids. You can't lead your home. You can't lead your team. You can't lead your department. You can't lead your business. You can't lead anything without a vision that guides and shapes and directs where you're headed. You can have a leadership title, you can be in a position of authority, but just because you have a title doesn't mean you're actually leading somewhere. Being the boss isn't the same thing as being a leader. And what God wants us to know is that without vision, we will stumble all over ourselves. So I would encourage you to do this. If you don't have a vision for your life, I would encourage you to find some time in the next couple of weeks, mark off two hours and sit down by your lonesome with a notebook, a pen and a Bible and open it up and say, God, what do you want to be true of my life a year from now that's not true today? What do you want to be true in my life five years, 10 years from now? That's not true in my life today. And then at the top of your page, write down the things in life that are important. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your spiritual walk with Jesus. Maybe it's how many people that you, we we just finished the series, Who's Your One, a couple of weeks ago. Maybe 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 God would wanna use you to lead 10 people to Jesus in the next five years. I, I don't know. Maybe God wanna use you to lead five people through discipleship in the next three years. I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. But if you don't have a vision for your life, sit down with the Lord, open it all up and say, God, why don't you speak? You get to have first crack to shape and define what you want to be true in my life in the future that's not currently true today. Why? Because boys live day to day. Men have a vision for their life. Here's the second thing. A boy wants to be MVP. A man is a team player. When I was a kid, I played basketball by myself for hours and hours and hours. Man, I grew up in the heyday of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, praise God, hallelujah and amen. He is the goat and it's not even close. If anybody disagrees with that, you need to spend more time in prayer about it. Man, I used to, I used to envision being outside being MJ has retired. He's taught me everything he knows. And I'm the next greatest basketball player of all time. I'm nine years old, 10 years old in the driveway. And you know what I used to do? I used to broadcast it over the, like, and turning and dribbles on the right side. He crosses over, steps back and shoots. He missed it, but he got his own rebound and put it up for a layup and they win. You know why I did that? Because I thought about being the MVP. You know what, I, you know what scenario I never once envisioned or played out? This scenario, Jernigan dribbles the ball on the right-hand side, he crosses over, steps back and passes it to somebody else and that idiot scored the goal and they win. I never thought about doing that because I always wanted to be the one taking the shot. Why? Because as a boy, I wanted to be the MVP. But here's what God wants us to understand, that men are team players, this shift might, we might grow in maturity. We might move past the idea of being the, the, the MVP of the NBA finals as a kid. But the MVP mindset doesn't shift. It, it doesn't change. It just shifts in its focus. Because now it shifts towards, well, I wanna be the top salesman in my company or I wanna, I wanna have the, uh, the best lawn in my neighborhood. I want everybody to walk past my yard and go, wow, how does he do it? Look at how straight lines. I've never seen anything so green. All right, maybe you want to be the you know the next leader of the biggest best whatever. The the, the, the motivation doesn't change; just how it gets applied, but change it begins to change. But can I tell you, there reaches a point of maturity when a boy begins to realize that all the things that God wants me to do, I can't get there or do them on my own. And when a boy reaches that point, he has taken his first one of his first steps towards being a man, because. God paints a very clear picture that we can't, that life is not a individual sport. Life is a team sport. I want you to consider Jesus. Many, many times Jesus invites his disciples to go with him when he performs miracles, when he teaches, when he does all these awesome and incredible things. We also see many times where Jesus gets away from the disciples and he spends time in prayer with God. Then he comes back down and he does more stuff and invites the disciples to be with him. But I want you to consider what Jesus did the night that he was arrested. The night where everything, the pressure was at its max. Jesus was so stressed out. The Bible says he was sweating blood. Now, most men, when we get stressed, what do we do? I'm fine. I'll figure it out. Leave me alone. Push people out of our bubble and say, I got this. I want you to notice what Jesus did. We find this in Mark chapter 14, 32. Then they came to the place which is named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James and John with him and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Jesus, in the moment of the greatest stress and pressure, Jesus doesn't push people away. Jesus invites people to come closer. Fellas, I just have to ask the question. If the King of Kings... And the Lord of Lords, the creator and sustainer of the universe, opted not to go the route of being an MVP when he was most stressed. Who the heck do we think that we are that we can do it differently than he did? Fellas, we need community. We need men in our life. We need people around us. We need a small group to be a part of so that we can connect regularly in relationships. You go, I'm so busy. My schedule is so tight. Yeah, you are busy and your schedule is tight. But you know who doesn't care about how busy or how tight your schedule is? The enemy. And the the Bible says the enemy roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In fact, what the enemy wants is for you to be so busy and so distracted with so many things going on that you don't even know that the attack is coming that you are already dead before you realize it happened. And what God wants for us to understand is stop being a boy. Be a man. Look for a tribe. Look for a pack. Look for a team that you can do life with. And by the way, it's got to be more than just your wife because your wife, God bless her, there's a lot of things that she helps you with, but there are certain things she will never understand about being a man. In the same way, praise God, I'll never understand certain things about being a woman. So you need people who will surround you, that will encourage you, that will pray for you, that will hold you accountable, that when necessary will take their right foot and stick it swiftly upside your rear end and say, bro, what the heck are you doing? Here's the reason why this is important. Because the Bible says that like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Can I tell you something? If you don't have men in your life that are doing that, then you will be a, a dull ineffective tool in the toolbox of God. You will be less effective as you try to lead your family, your relationships, your kids, your home, your business, at work, whatever. You will be less effective as a tool in God's hands to do the things that God has called you to do. If you don't have men in your life to sharpen you, and by the way, some of that sharpening is not always pleasant. It's all, it's it's a lot more than, hey, bro, how you doing? Let's talk about news, weather, sports. Sometimes you need some sharpening. Say, so, hey, dude, you haven't been at church in the last month. Where are you? Hey, bro, I've been li- I've been hearing some of the things that you've been texting about and talking about and the way that you talk about people. Bro, does that reflect the love of Christ? And does that reflect the reality that God created? All those people that you keep talking about, that they are created in his image, he loved them, and he cared about them enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for them? Sometimes that sharpening is not going to be pleasant. When iron sharpens iron, it creates friction. But that's what we need. Boys refuse to go through life alone. Uh, boys choose to go through life alone, continue saying, I'm fine, I'm good, I've got this. But men find a team to do life with. Here's the third thing, you still with me? Amen, here we go. Here's the third thing. A boy plays, a man works. Now this goes back to part of what we talked about last week about accepting responsibility. And, um, uh, but I, I, I've got three kids and can I tell you there's some things I've learned that I never had to teach my kids. I don't know, maybe your kids are different. I never had to teach my kids how to throw a temper tantrum. I have never had to sit down with any of my three children and go, I wanna teach you a word. It's a very powerful word. It has two letters. It starts with N and it ends with O. No. You know what else I've never had to teach my kids? I never had to teach my kids to be selfish. No parent has ever sat down with their toddler and said, the word is mine. Say it this way, mine. No one's ever done that. You know what else? A toddler has, a kid has never had to be taught. A kid has never had to be taught that it's fun to play with people and play with things. But you know what? I have had to teach my kids. I'm currently in the process of it, and I'm probably going to lose some hair or go gray, one or the other. And the next, I'm in the season, in the season where my kids are 10, nine, and six. Man, it is like training all day, every day. Bro, every morning, empty the dishwasher. Oh, well, see, I forgot about it because I didn't. Yeah, I understand that. But every day since school started, you have one job, into the dishwasher. Well, you see, I woke up and then I forgot. Sweetheart, your job is to clean the kitchen. You told me to clean the dishes. Hmm. I did say that, didn't I? But every other night, what is your chore? Oh, the countertops and the vacuum, the floor that's right. Why didn't you do that? Because you said clean the dishes, <sighs> dear Lord Jesus. She's created in your image, and I love her. Kids do have to be taught the value of work. I've never, I've never met a kid, maybe this kid exists. I wasn't this way. None of my friends were this way. My wife wasn't this way. None of my kids are this way. None of my friends' kids are this way. I've never met a kid that thought, you know what? I love work. Work is great. I'm always gonna do it my very best. Mom and dad never have to tell me to do it again. I think Jesus was probably the only kid that way. Imagine how Jesus' brothers would have felt about that. That's a whole nother mess for another day. I can't imagine being Jesus' brother. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Well, Jesus is freaking perfect. For some reason, work for some people uh, is, like a, is like one of the other four letter words. Let me speak to some of the young men in the room. Work is not a four letter word. I mean, it is, but you understand what I'm saying? Like the one where you had to put you know, symbols at when you say it, work was a gift from God. Check it out, Genesis chapter two says this, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. You know what God did? God gave Adam a work to do. So before Genesis chapter three happened, where they sinned against God, and then God said, Adam, part of your curse is that work is gonna be hard. There's a lot of people that have a misconception that work is a part of the curse. Work is not part of the curse. Work was a blessing from God because here's what God knew. God knew that Adam was gonna have all kinds of energy. He was gonna have all kinds of thoughts and he was gonna need something to do with it. And so God said, Adam, listen, man, I'm gonna put you in this garden. I'm gonna give you work to do. And here's what I want you to understand. Part of, not all of, but part of your your blessing of being made in my image and being part of my creation is that you get to do a work that adds value to the world and people around you. And so Adam, God puts Adam in the garden, invites him to do work. I want you to think about this for a second. I heard a pastor say this one time and it was one of those moments where I was like, whoa, that's really cool, mic drop. I'm gonna use that. And I don't know if I'm gonna give someone else credit for it or not, but I am. He said, Liz, you ever thought about this? God's never made a chair. He's made trees. He's made people. And he's put inside people the ability to look at a tree and to see a chair and the ability to get the chair out of the tree but God himself has never made a chair because God wanted us to realize that work is a part of the blessing of being able to live on this earth. And when we do our work in relationship with God, it brings immense purpose, it brings immense joy, it brings immense contentment, satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives. And by the way, I wanna make sure that we don't miss this. The primary work that we are called to do is not physical work, it is spiritual work. The most important job, men and women, you will ever have, this applies to everybody, the most important job you will ever have is when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, tell the world about me. And then once they know about me, teach them how to follow me. That's the most important job. That's the most important thing. You are not a banker. You are not a teacher. You are not a parent. You are a follower of Jesus with a call from God to go make disciples. And your chosen profession at work or or at home or outside of the home is to leverage that for the purpose of helping more people come to know Jesus. Listen, there are some men that need to be reminded that you need to work hard, but can I tell you, I also think there's some other men that need to be reminded it's okay to play hard. I think that for some of the men that that might be listening to this, we're so busy, you know, saving the world and putting out fires and doing all those things because because at some level we like we like what it makes, it makes us feel important, the more stuff that we're responsible for. And so when we can be responsible for somebody and be like, well, I did this and this and this and this and this. Can I tell you there's a reason, I believe it's from the pit of hell, that one of the reasons why that that when we talk to people in society, how you doing? What's most of the time the second question? Are you staying? Busy. Can I tell you, I believe that 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 idea comes straight from the pit of hell because if Satan can keep you busy, then you will never fully connect to the reality that your identity as a follower of Jesus is not wrapped up in your career, in your job or your responsibilities. Your identity is wrapped up as being a son or daughter of the most high God. And so for some of us need to be reminded, it's okay for us to play a little bit. There's a reason why when God created the universe, the seventh and last day, he called it a Sabbath. And then he commanded all of us to observe the Sabbath. Can I tell you, part of the reason why some of us are struggling in our life, our finances, in our marriage is because we are running around all day, every day, thinking that the weight of the world is on our shoulders. It's my problem to fix. It's my fire to put out. It's my burden to carry. And God established from the beginning, I need you to understand that none of it is your problem to fix. None of this is your burden. It's my problem and it's my burden and I invite you into the overwhelming joy process of being used by me to bring help and healing to the people in situations around you. So some of us were so burnt out and our marriages are taxed and our finances are taxed and, and we don't have any capacity left because we don't practice one of the most basic commandments of observing a Sabbath, having a day once a week where we go, "You know what? I'm going to play hard today. I'm not going to work." I'm not checking email. I'm gonna spend time with people that I love doing things that are enjoyable and fun. Listen, this is a challenge for me. Jessica and I have been trying to practice this for the last year. It's challenging for me at times when I get to my Sabbath day to go, If I'm not working, what am I doing? A boy plays, a man works, but but real men understand the value of working hard or playing hard after you've done the hard work. Here's the, the fourth thing. A boy wants the reassurance of the crowd. A man has the courage to take a minority position. Now, depending on how you're wired, you might hear that and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. People who are whatever number on the Enneagram or, you know, disc assessment or, you know, whatever purple flower personality or animal assessment, whichever personality assessment is your thing, you might look at that and go, yeah, certain people who fit this number, this color, this letter, whatever, like, yeah, they take, they, they're, the, they're the bold ones, they're the brave ones, they, they stand up and it's easy for them. But can I just tell you, God wants us to understand that we ought not just overly simplify this to just a personality assessment result. Jesus actually wanted us to understand that, that part of following him means that we are constantly going to be swimming against the grain. When everything in the world and the culture is going this way, Jesus is constantly gonna lead us to go that way. And he didn't hide this. He didn't conceal this. He made it really plain in Matthew chapter seven. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But notice what he says. He says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. He said, listen, it is hard to follow me. It's not popular to follow me. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna cost you something. It's going to hurt at times to follow Jesus. One of the most critical elements for any Jesus follower is maturing into the place where your greatest concern is not rooted or based in what everybody else thinks about you, but where your greatest concern, where you become consumed moment by moment with this one thought, God, is my life pleasing to you right now? And the longer we walk with Jesus, the more that should become our concern and our focus. A boy oftentimes feels the need to bow down and bend to the pressure of society and culture and friends, but a man stands strong on his biblical convictions. You know, here's one of my observations of boys. It's not that boys are unable to stand strong on convictions. It's that boys never know the right time to stand strong. Boys will oftentimes go with the flow and go with the culture as long as everything is fun and everybody's having a good time and I'm just gonna follow my heart. I'm gonna do what my heart tells me to do. That's the dumbest advice that smart people give people. Following your heart is the worst thing that you can do. But here's what I've learned about boys when I think about my own life. I don't normally have a problem standing strong once I realize there's a person in position of authority telling me I can't do what I wanna do. It's amazing how boys will find their spine and their backbone when someone says, you can't do that. But you know what men do? Men learn discernment and learn when the right time is to stand strong and when the right time is to bow and to bend. A real man will accept feedback and correction from people in positions of authority, from people that they admire and respect. And by the way, you don't have to admire or respect someone in a position of authority to be a godly man willing to receive correction from them. A real man will will, will recognize that, that, that I'm not always right that I make mistakes and I'll, I'll, I'll take responsibility for my actions when I mess up. A man will allow himself to stand, he will stand strong on his convictions on God's word, but he will allow God to bend him and recognize that God will oftentimes bend him through the mouth and the witness and the testimony of those men that are in his biblical community that are trying to help him understand, bro, you're running in the wrong direction. Here's the last thing. A boy is a predator, a man is a protector. There's a natural progression that almost everybody that's ever been born goes through. You're born, you grow, you learn, you do, and you die. How's that for encouraging? Generally speaking, that's the the story arc of every person that's ever lived. Most of us recognize that even though we don't necessarily like talking about it. But I wanna help you see that there's another trend that happens that is just as real, that just as, as pervasive in the lives of almost everybody that's ever lived. And if this, if this trend does not go, go checked, if it doesn't get changed, then it will lead all of us to a position of being more of a predator than a protector. And it starts really innocent by this idea of self-preservation. And self-preservation is simply asking the question, how can I survive? A lot of your, 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 your childhood and infancy and toddler and, and e- even up through middle school and high school, your teenage years, is a lot of it is just figuring out like, how do, I, how do I keep living and not do something stupid and die? But eventually most of us begin to figure that out and we move past self-preservation and we move towards self-gratification. And self-gratification asks the question, how can I get what I want? And so we go to work trying to figure out how to get what we want. Some of us, we get a job, some of us get another job, some of us get a better job because oftentimes so many of the things that we want are tied to a dollar amount. Or we try to get what we want relationally and we try to exercise you know, our, our wit or our common sense or our, our words to try to, to get what we want out of relationships. And eventually, some of us get really good at that. Like, I'm really good at figuring out how to get what I want. And so we move from self preservation through self gratification until we end up to the place of self glorification. And self glorification asks the question man, how awesome am I? I'm so awesome. I'm so good. Look at me. You're welcome to be in my presence. Through my early 20s, I I, I lived this way as a youth pastor. I literally thought I was dumb enough to literally think like, man, they are so blessed to have me at this church. Can you believe we've got more middle schoolers coming to this youth group than any middle school in the south side of the metro? You're welcome. Can I tell you something? God began to go to work in me and help me to see this isn't what being a man is about. Being a man is about being able to effectively um, communicate and express your wants and desires. And being a man isn't telling the world, you know, this is how good I am. And look at me, look at me, look at me. No, 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 no. God helped me to see that the way Jesus led is that Jesus considered of no reputation, even though he was he was equal with God, he was the same as God, he made himself a servant And God began to teach me and help me realize that the point and purpose of being a man is about lifting up the needs, the wants, and the desires of others, even at the expense of mine. Because a boy is a predator, always looking to get what he wants and how he wants it. But a man, a man is a protector. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Nehemiah who took on this overwhelming task. The walls of his hometown, Jerusalem, had fallen apart, and they were in disarray. And so Nehemiah goes back and begins a process to try to rebuild the walls of the city. As he's there, he starts rallying the people and, "Hey guys, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to build this wall." And, and everybody's like, "All right, let's build the wall." And one of one of Israel's um, uh, enemies, the Samaritans, started taking note. And at first, they started making fun of him, like, "Man, that wall's been broken for so long. Like, you're never going to build that wall." Then they begin to realize that they were building the wall. And so they said, we can't let them build a wall because then we can't come in and attack them and have our way with them the way that we want to. We better attack them now. And so the Sumerians put together a plan to come and attack Israel. Israel has two problems. Problem number one, there is no Jewish military to protect them. Problem number two, the walls of the city are fallen and cannot protect them either. And so what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah calls on the men to step up and protect. Notice what he says, Nehemiah chapter four, verse 13. He says, therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening. So where the wall was falling, he said, I put men there where the opening was. And then I set people according to their family. So I didn't just put, you know, Bosephus over there and Jim Bob over there. Like, bro, this is the part of the wall that's busted in front of your house. You're responsible for this part. And then he says, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What did Nehemiah call them in to do? He called them to protect men. You and I are called to protect others to protect them physically, to protect them emotionally, to protect them spiritually, and to protect them socially. And if you are a married man in the house, you are called to protect your wife. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your own wives, Jesus Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for her. Listen, men, this is so much more than just a super macho, like, I'm a man. I see somebody beating up somebody that doesn't deserve it. And I'm the judge of who deserves it. If I see it on Saturday, I'll come and intervene. I'll get I'm like, hey man, stop beating them up. I'm a man. I mean, that, I mean, that's noble. Let me ask you this. Would you be man enough to shut your mouth so that someone else can have a say? Some men are like, ah, oh, I love my wife. Don't question my love for my wife. There's nothing I wouldn't, have. I'd take a bullet for my wife. Okay. Awesome. I think that's great. Quick question. Would you be willing to get up off the couch and do dishes to help your wife? Would you be willing to pick up the dust rag if it's needed to help her out? I'm a man. Men don't do that. Yeah, they do. Jesus gave his life to protect his church. He is still protecting his church. God calls us as men to protect our wives. And how did Jesus do that? By laying his life down, by laying his rights down, by laying his desires down, so that someone else could be blessed, so that someone else could be served. Men, God calls us to protect people and part of protecting people is making sure that we are careful to protect their honor, to protect their dignity, to make sure that we see people not just through the lens of what they said or what they did or how they frustrated me or that they get what they deserve, but that we recognize that God created them in his image. He loved them. He sent Jesus down on the cross for them. And because of that, they are a value to him. And if they're a value to him, they ought to be a value to me. But let me take it a step further. Let me get in your Kool-Aid for just a second. Parting of not being a boy and being a predator, but being a man and being a protector is that we don't objectify people, especially women, either physically or digitally to appease, to gratify, or satisfy my own desires. That's what a boy does. God calls us to be men. So what now? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, I wanna issue to you, fellas, the most practical challenge that I think I've ever issued as a preacher. I call it the man up challenge. Super creative this is, what, this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at the, the, the notes from our, from our message today. Here are the five things. A boy lives day to day, a man has a vision for his life. A boy wants to be an MVP, a man is a team player. A boy plays, a man works. A boy wants the reassurance of the crowd, a man has the courage to take a minority position. A boy is a predator, a man is a protector. At some point this week, maybe this afternoon before the Chiefs play, maybe after the Chiefs play, maybe you, maybe you go and get lunch by yourself this week, find, find some time this week where you can sit down with these five contrasts between a boy and a man in front of you. Once you get your notes out, your journal, your pen, your phone, however you go about the process of taking notes, and I want you to ask this question Is there any area of my life where I am behaving more like a boy than a man? I want to invite you to invite God into that process. God, is there any area of my life where I am acting, living, behaving more like a boy than I am a man. You wanna take it a step further? Because I know men like a challenge. Men like to do the hard stuff, you know. Bet me I can't do five push push-ups and watch me do five and a half. Here's how you step up that challenge. Invite someone that is close to you that knows you really, really, really well. Lay these five contrasts out for them and then ask them this question. Is there any area of my life where you see that I'm living more like a boy than I am a man? And then after you ask that question, I need you to do two things. I need you to shh. And then pick up whatever your instrument of taking notes is and write down whatever it is that they say. Start with God first and then go to someone else. If you're married, it's probably your spouse. If you're younger and, and you're not married yet, maybe it's, maybe it's a close friend, maybe it's, maybe it's your dad. Maybe you're in, you're, you're in here and you're single and you're an older man and you're married or, or you're single and you've got older kids, maybe ask one of your kids. And then once you get the answers out on paper, don't, don't just, just try to keep it in your mind because you're gonna lose that. There's a reason why God didn't want us to just have the Bible just in thought. He wanted us to have it on paper so that we can't construe or misrepresent what he said. Once you have the answers to that, then you start processing it in line with what we talked about in Proverbs. When people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God is doing, they are most blessed. And then I would encourage you to do this about every 90 days or so, spend another 30 minutes and do it again. Why? Because God's calling us to man up. And there will never be a time where we go, that's it, God, I'm I'm done. I am the alpha male. Your work in me is finished. I can't possibly be more manly than I am right now. My wife can't handle it. I'm so manly. All of my man friends are jealous of me. My sons realize they'll never measure up to who I am because I am a man. God always wants to take you another step because here's the deal, maintenance is a myth. You are either actively continuing to become more of who God wants you to be or you are actively becoming less of who God wants you to be. There's never this idea that you just maintain where you are, that doesn't exist. And if you will take this challenge, I dare you to take this challenge. I believe that you are going to experience incredible joy as God does an incredible work in you. And as you, as a leader, become the conduit through which other people around you will be blessed by. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816 203 1835 again that's the word faith to 816 203 1835 if this is your first time listening we'd love to connect reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the discover church podcast thanks for listening